0: The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please go to www.folfcrc.com. Let's pray. Father, here's where we still our minds and our hearts and realize that you are a communicating God, a speaking God. It's no accident that you've brought each one of us here this morning, and so we just admit the reality that you're here with us and that you have something to say through your word. And so I pray, Lord, we all pray, I trust that we'll open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to listen to you, that the God of the universe would speak to us individually about what he's done. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for what it symbolizes Thank you for your son. Thank you for the reality of who you are. You're still alive and you're working in our lives. You're real. And now, Lord, we pray, speak to us. Speak through me. Please help me to teach this passage faithfully, clearly. Speak through Josh. Speak through Stuart, as they share later. We're here relying on you and we're looking to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I am very excited about the baptisms this morning. It's probably my favorite thing to do as a pastor. But before we get there, I've got two goals for us with baptism. Number one, I want us to understand what baptism is. And number two, I want us to feel it, want it, appreciate it. So that's what I want for from you. Hopefully you can go out here saying, okay, I know what they were doing. I know what we're doing. And secondly, you'd say... Either, I want what what I saw, or I'm so glad I have that. So I want you to understand it. I want you to feel it. It's a constant need for us. I'll never forget the day, and some of you have heard the story way too many times. I'll never forget the day I'm sitting in my office and I get a call, and it's from this lady interested about baptism, except you know what she wants baptism for. She wonders if I would baptize her dog. Now, I like dogs. Any dog people in here? Okay, but it seems like I've got our categories mixed a little, or something's off. But it's just an, that's just an example of how, for many, baptism is just this. It's kind of a superstition, right? You get some holy guy with some holy water, and he puts it on you, and that gives you good luck. It's like having a rabbit's foot in your pocket. Or maybe it's just a dead tradition, right? It's what we do, and it's what we always do, and so you got to do it, and i got to do it. And even for me, I I think I know what baptism is, but I forget, forget the the magic of it, the power of it. So that's why we need to spend a little time explaining it. What are we doing? Why? What does it mean? And second, appreciating. Do you realize what this is? It's the best thing that's ever happened to you. (laughs) We're going to do this from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 3. I hope you follow along a little bit in your chair Bibles. By the way, if you don't have a Bible at home, we'd love to give you one of these, so they're under the chairs in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, take it. Love to give it to you. We're on page 808, and what we're going to see here, again, Matthew is an eyewitness account of the life of Jesus. We're going to look at the most amazing baptism of all. It's the baptism of Jesus himself. Did you know that Jesus was baptized? Hopefully, we will learn a lot for both understanding our baptism, what we're talking about, and experiencing it. And we're going to see, I hope, that the waters of baptism are not just superstition or tradition, but they represent a connection. They represent a connection. An incredible connection. So we're going to have three points to see and feel. I'm going to use the image of water, okay? Here's our three points. Poured into, poured out, poured over. Poured into, poured out, poured over. But first some background information. Who is John? We see in verse 13 of chapter 3, Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. Okay, well, who's that guy? It's John the Baptist, right? And some of us wonder... Well, wasn't he a Presbyterian? John the. Be- what are we talking about? Do you ever find that? Do you ever find that churchy things? Can anybody ever go to Sunday school where they had the little felt boards and the little felt people, and you'd paste them up there, and sometimes they'd fall off, and you know you pasting them up there. We talk about these church things, and it's like going to a wax museum. You know, they represent living things, but they've just become. Cheesified, bumper stickerified, you know, felt peopleified. John the Baptist. What is this? Who is this guy? Well, John is a prophet fulfilling a prophecy. A prophet speaks God's word. A prophecy was a promise by God, basically, 700 years before this moment that we're reading about in Matthew three. 700 years before Isaiah said, "The Lord Himself is going to come. God's going to come to you. He's going to visit you." You have to admit, right, if there is a God, if there is a Lord, and he comes to visit you, that's going to leave a mark. That's going to be interesting. That's going to be powerful. And Isaiah the prophet said that before the Lord came, he'd send a messenger or a forerunner to get the people ready. So this guy's going to come first. Well, who's the guy that comes first before the Lord comes? It's John. John. And John, basically, is doing two things. He's preaching repentance, and he's baptizing people. So his message is repentance. You've heard that word, right? Repentance. What's it mean? What's it mean to repent? Well, basically, repentance means to turn. You're going one way, and you realize, this is a train wreck. You ever had that moment in your life? I'm just trucking down the road, ACDC, highway to hell, this is a train wreck. I'm trusting in the wrong things. I'm doing the wrong things. I need to turn this ship around. So repentance is, hey, turn back to, to the real God. Turn back to the only one whose who's life, whose truth, whose beauty. Turn the ship around. Repent. John the Baptist is saying, repent. And then he's baptizing people as a symbol of their repentance. Old life's dying, new life started. But he's controversial, he's shocking. There's two shocking things about what he's saying. How many of you all like to hear the message, repent? There's one part of it none of us like, because what's it assuming if you need to repent? You are doing something wrong. (laughs) You have made foolish choices. Your heart's wrong. You're a sinner. You have needs. Now how come we don't like to hear that? We all have a deep emotion inside of us, right, to be the authority, have it all together. In fact, sometimes that's why we don't want to go to church, right? Anybody ever have that thought? I, want to go, I don't want to go to church because those people think they have it all together. Well, for those of you who are regular tenders at church, let's just go ahead and confess right now. Do we have it all together? <laughs> not, not close. That's why we're here. We don't have it together. John's telling them, you need to Repent. It's, it's shocking, it's confrontational, Something's, you need help, you need to be saved. But the second reason it's shocking is not just what he's saying, it's who he's saying it to. It's who he's saying it to. He's not just saying it to the super bad people, the drug dealers and the terrorists. Yeah, they need to repent, right? We all know that. You know who he's saying it to? He's saying it to the churchgoers. He's saying it to the religious leaders. He's saying it to the people who know and follow all the rules. He says, you need to repent. He said to them, your religion is just a game. You use it to think you're better than other people. You're hypocrites. He said to them, you think you're following your little homemade list will be enough to make you right with God? You've got a heart problem. Even in the midst of all your religious tradition, you need to repent. That's this guy. That's John. Repent. So how do you get ready for the Lord to come? You repent. You get ready to turn. You see your need and your turn. So John's preaching repentance and he's baptizing people as a sign of that repentance in their lives. And then one day, Jesus comes. Jesus comes, and John's response to this is pretty amazing. Look at verse 13. Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. And how does John feel about it? Verse 14. John would have what? Prevented him. Saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you're coming to me? Jesus says, baptize me. John says, hey, wait, remember Isaiah? I'm the prophet. You're the Lord. You baptize me. (laughs) I don't baptize you. Let's not let, I can't baptize you. Don't do this. And look at what John said about Jesus in verse 11. John said, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me, he's mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. Uh, who takes care of the feet in the ancient world? The lowest slave. And I totally understand that. <laughs> Right? Who who wants to wash dirty ancient world feet? Who wants to take care of the dirty ancient world sandals? That's anybody. Like when I grow up, I want to be the sandal carrier. Nobody wants that job. John's the prophet. He says Jesus sandals. My resume is not good enough to carry his sandals. That's how amazing he is. That's how great he is. I can't baptize you. John is saying to Jesus what would be obvious for them. You don't need to be baptized. Remember what's baptism a sign of for John? Repentance. Does Jesus need to repent? <laughs> oh, I'm wrong. No, that would, he'd be the wrong guy for the job. If he, he, he doesn't need to repent. He's the Lord. He's the one who's come. He's perfect. I don't need, I can't baptize you, John. is saying you don't, you don't need it. I don't even have the, the right. Look what Jesus says in verse 15 almost mysterious jesus says you got to baptize me john says we can't do this jesus says verse 15 let it be so now for thus it is fitting for us to what fulfill all righteousness we say those three words with me fulfill all righteousness what on earth does that mean what on earth does that mean Just try to feel what John's feeling, okay? He's the prophet. He's trying to get the people ready for the Lord. Now the Lord has come. Here he is. The Lord says, baptize me. John says, I don't get it. You don't need baptism. I don't have the right to baptize you. You're who you are. I'm who I am. We can't do this. Jesus says, I got to fulfill righteousness. I got to fill it up. I got to make it work. I got to make it happen. What is this? All right, let's, let's start from the bottom level. What's righteousness? What, what is this? Another churchy word, right? Churchy word. What does it mean? Let's start here. Um, doing the right thing. You okay with that as a definition? Doing the right thing? All right, is that enough? You ever had somebody do the right thing for the wrong reasons? You're sick in the hospital. I come visit you. Hey, thanks, Pastor Matt, for coming to visit me. I say, I, I didn't really want to be here. Um, it just seemed like the right thing to do but not really into it myself. What would you say to me if I said that to you, visiting you in the hospital? you say, well, leave then. right? Go away and don't come back. Righteousness is more than just doing the right thing. What is it? It's wanting to do the right thing. It's loving the right thing. Not only that, don't you have to love the right thing in the right way? Do you love your job? If you have a job, I hope you do. I hope you enjoy it. I hope you say, I love doing this. I want to do it as best I can. What do you call somebody who loves their job? Too much. I love my job so much, I never see my kids. Is that good? No, you, what are we all saying? You're a workaholic. What do we mean by that? We're not saying it's bad to love your work, right? We're saying some things are more valuable than others, and you have to love the right things, but you have to also love the right things in the right way. Uh, you, your kids are more valuable. Then your work. So there should be priorities here. So righteousness, okay, love, love the right things in the right way. Do you agree? Does that work? When the Bible talks about righteousness, it's, it's like the, the junk drawer word for God's character. God's righteous. It's what he's like. He always loves the right thing in the right way. Always, every time, perfectly. He has a hot, perfect passion for everything that is good and just and beautiful and true. And he also has a hatred for everything that isn't, because he's perfectly righteous. Now, don't you think that's fair? Wouldn't you agree that the more you love something, the more you'll hate its opposite? If you love anything, you'll hate something, okay? I love my kids. Somebody tries to hurt my kids. How am I going feel to about, feel about that person? I'll be angry. Not because I want to hate them, but what? I love my kids. Somebody tried to hurt my kid and I didn't care. What would you think about me? You don't love your kid. That's what you'd say. The more you love something, the more you hate its opposite. Think about this. God perfectly loves righteousness. He's righteous. He loves the right thing powerfully, massively. So how does he feel then about evil? He hates it. If he's God, he has to. If he's righteous, he has to. He must. He hates evil. So here's the problem. Why does Jesus have to fulfill or fill up Righteousness. Righteousness accords with what God's love. Did anybody see the movie Fury? No one? Oh my gosh, people, yes. Okay, don't take your kids, right? Awesome movie. It's about a World War II uh, guys um, driving this tank. And, and the end of the movie, I'm, spoiler alert, okay? Spoiler number one, some people die. It's a World War II movie. This tank decides to sacrifice themselves to save a supply line. They decide to sacrifice themselves to save a supply line. And Shia LaBeouf's character, did I say that right? Is there any expert on this? Shia LaBeouf's character, his name was Shia LaBeouf's character, is called Bible. Because he's always quoting the Bible. And he says to his friends, he goes, This is a righteous act, brothers. It's a righteous act. We're going to sacrifice ourselves to save the supply line. It's a righteous act. Do you agree with him? It is. It accords with God's character. It was righteous. Righteous deeds. So a righteous person, who's someone who loves the right things in the right way, does them. But here's the problem. Why does Jesus need to fulfill righteousness? How many of you are righteous people? See, we have our moments, Right? We have our moments, our flashes of amazing love. But when it comes to God's standard of righteousness, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. How many of you do that? I'll be honest with you, I don't think I've ever done it once. Not with all. Not with all. Or how about love your neighbor as yourself? Terrible command. I mean, we like love and all, but really like this? Think of the way we love ourselves. We, we sense, we know all our needs, our desires, our goals, and then we do what we can to meet those needs. Jesus says, that's great, and now do that for other people. See through their eyes, their needs, their goals, and you, set, and you work for them. How many of you do that? You're like, I tried it once. <laughs> all the time? I've so badly broken this. You each probably have testimonies of how I have not kept this command in your life. I can't do this. Or what about the Ten Commandments? Thou shalt not lie. You know, we come and say, I'm a good person. I'm a nice person. And we're thinking, I'm not Hitler. And then we look at God's law. Thou shalt not lie. Okay. How many times have you lied? Couple. (laughs) Liar. (laughs) A thousand. Okay. Me too. Why'd you do it? I did it because I sold out God, and I'm not finding what I need in Him, and so I got to make it myself. And I've got so many problems, I got to docker this story up so you read it right. I'm a liar. Nobody's righteous, nobody's kept the law. And if God has a perfect love for what's righteous, and a huge hatred for what isn't, and I'm full of unrighteousness, I've got a problem. I deserve his wrath. I believe that. We're sinners. We deserve his wrath. You guys, this is why Jesus is getting baptized. This is why Jesus is getting baptized. There's a gap. There's a hole in your righteousness. Jesus says, I came to fill it. I came to fill it. There's an ache and a need in you because you're separate from God who made you. I came to meet it. I came to meet it. His baptism is why he came, poured into. It's Christmas, right? We're celebrating the greatest miracle of all. The eternal Son of God took on flesh, became a human for us. Why? To fulfill righteousness, to meet your need, to fill in the gap for you. He was poured into our skin. Now, how does his baptism do this? How does Jesus fulfill righteousness by going underwater in the river? Well, that's just symbolic for what he's really after, isn't it? What's he really after? Jesus' baptism does this. Remember, John says, you don't need to be baptized. Jesus is basically saying, I know, but I'm going to walk in your shoes. I'm going to do for you what you couldn't do for yourself. That's why Jesus would talk about another baptism. In Luke 12, 50, Jesus says, I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. What's that second baptism? That's the cross. That's the cross. On the cross, Jesus, who was poured into our flesh, was poured out to fill up, to fulfill, to enable our righteousness. Jesus did what you couldn't do. He did what I couldn't do. I have lived a flawed, sinful life. Jesus lived that perfect life of righteousness that I could never live, and he did it in my place. He did it for me. He did it for you. So if you have this sense but before God you, you haven't been enough, you haven't been d- done enough, maybe you have this sense before, that before God you've done too much and you're too far gone and there's no hope for you because you can never make it right. Jesus says, you're on the right track. You can't make it right. But then he says, but let me do it for you. I did it for you. I lived that perfect life in your place, and I want to give that to you. He lived the life we couldn't live. Not only that, he paid the price we don't want to pay. God is just. He must, because he's just, punish the crime as it fits. And so Jesus on the cross was poured out in our place, God pouring out his just wrath for my unrighteousness, for yours, on Jesus instead of us. Instead of us. You might think, I've got to make it up. I've got to fix it somehow. And Jesus says, you can't. I did. I have. I paid it all. He was poured out for us. Matthew twenty six twenty eight. when Jesus is eating the last supper of his disciples, he holds up the cup, which represents his blood, and he says this of his blood. This is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus was poured into our skin, became flesh, so that he could be poured out in our place on the cross. And make us righteous. Poured out in our place. Now we start to see what our baptism is all about. Jesus in his baptism poured into our flesh. Walking in our shoes. Doing what we couldn't do for us. Poured out in our our place on the cross. In himself, meeting our needs, making us righteous by his life, by his death, by his resurrection. Listen to what Paul says about baptism in Romans chapter 6. He says this to those who believed in Christ. Listen carefully, Romans 6, 3 to 4. Don't you know, Paul says, that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. You've heard the news of who Jesus is. He's the Son of God. He took on flesh for us. You've heard what he's done. He's lived a perfect life in our place. He died on a cross as our substitute to take the wrath that we deserve. He took it for us. He rose from the dead in victory. He offers himself to all who will believe. If you will trust in him, again, like John said, what? Repent. If you'll turn towards him and trust in him, all that he is and all that he has done is yours. When you trust in him, something incredible happens. You're baptized into him. Listen, this is not water, okay? If you've known me longer than five seconds, you know I have no magical spiritual powers. I am not Harry Potter, okay? And this is just water. It's not from the Jordan River, okay? I didn't say any magic words over it. This is not the real baptism, this is a sign and a celebration of the real baptism. The real baptism is this. When you trust in Jesus Christ, Paul says, didn't you know you were baptized into his death? Or just a few verses later, he says, you were united to Jesus. The word baptized just means to dip. Anybody like fondue? Okay, Some of you, some of you you're like, I'll have a tip of chocolate on my strawberry. Okay, That's not Christian baptism. Okay, Christian baptism is you take the whole thing and you, just, you get it all the way down in the chocolate and you just smother that sucker and you get your hand all dirty and you pull out this thing, you can't even tell it's a strawberry anymore, right, it's in there and then you eat it, okay. When you trust in Jesus, he's the one who was poured into flesh for you, poured out for you on the cross, when you trust into him, he is poured over you. You're baptized into Christ. You're connected. You're connected to Jesus. You're united to Jesus. That's why you got all this weird language in the New Testament like you're the body of Christ. Connected. You're the bride of Christ. You're connected. Or Paul will say it a thousand times, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. You never talk that way about your relationships with other people. But we're in Christ. We're connected to him. That's the baptism connection. He was poured into our skin. He was poured out on the cross in our place. He's poured over us through faith. We're united to him. Look at the second part of our text in Matthew. Verse 16 of chapter 3. When Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So much we could say here, but at least see this. Who's Jesus? Who is he? He's walking into the baptism just like everybody else, right? Looks just like everybody else in the flesh. But something happens when he hits the water. The water is supposed to show, oh, these people needed repentance, and they did. So Jesus hits the water, and God comes. God comes. You see his announcement This is my son. This is my son. How does he feel about his son? well pleased. I love this kid. I love him. He's perfect. And he's saying, by the way, he doesn't need baptism. (laughs) He's not doing this for him or for me. He's doing it for you. You see the Father's there. You see the Father providing for Jesus. He gives Jesus. The, this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He gives him the Holy Spirit, everything he needs to endure temptation, accomplish the miracles, live this life, take it to the end, his death, his resurrection. He gives him what need, he needs. He provides. You see Jesus' Father showing up. One of my favorite texts in Scripture could go on forever right here about the fatherhood of God, but here's what I want you to see right now. Do you see what Jesus has? an eternal relationship with God as his father. He's the ultimate son. When you are baptized into Jesus, united to him, connected to him, and all that Jesus has is yours, an amazing trade takes place, an amazing connection. What do I bring? Here's what I bring to the deal. Sin, rebellion, and foolishness. I'm worthy of judgment. Jesus says, I'll take that. I'll wear it. And he wore it on the cross for me. Here's what Jesus brings to the table. I'm the king of kings, the eternal son of God. The holy God of the universe is my father. I'm part of the triune God, one God, three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I'm going to inherit all things. I'm the apple of his eye. I live the perfect life. I paid the ultimate price. Let me give that to you. He gives it to you. When we're connected to Christ, he takes ours and we get his. We get his. And again, you don't have to do something crazy to get this. You don't have to give a lot of money. You don't have to climb a mountain. You don't have to fix yourself. In fact, stop. Stop. Stop trying to fix yourself. Look to the only way one who can do it the only one who can fulfill this righteousness jesus he's enough for you if you trust in him completely by god's love by by faith just trust in him given to you connected to you it's you get what he has who's god for you now you know we see the father doing three major things during jesus baptism he's present he's providing and he's speaking identity Let me tell you this. If you've trusted in Christ, the real baptism has happened in your heart, and your Father in heaven, he's with you. He's present. Always present. Your Father in heaven, he provides for you everything you need to bring you to himself. He's taking care of you. He's poured out the Holy Spirit on you, it says in Titus 3. Not only that, he speaks identity. Identity. If this hits home, some of us never heard our dads tell us anything about our identity. It hurts. It will always hurt. You see what the Father does for Jesus publicly. (laughs) This is my son. I'm well pleased. Folks, when you're baptized into Jesus, when you're connected with him, he was poured into flesh for you, poured out for you, poured over you. The Father wants to tell you your identity. I'm going to go ahead and speak for him. Through God's word. He says this to you. You are my beloved child. With whom I am well pleased. He's well pleased with you. And you might think how can he say that? Look what I've done. Here's how he can say it. He's looking at what Jesus has done. For you. You wear the clothes of Jesus perfection. Jesus has washed away all the sin. Baptized. Connected. He's poured over you. What He has is yours. And this changes everything. This changes everything. When you see your identity as a beloved son or daughter of God, not through your own works, but through Jesus' perfection, it changes everything. All the things you used to fear tend to dissolve, all the things you used to love tends to not fill you up anymore, and all of a sudden, you found who you are with God as your Father through Jesus Christ. Now, I know that for Stuart, for Josh, for everyone in here who trusts in Jesus, the real baptism has already happened, right? You are connected to Christ. What are we doing here? The public water, the Bible calls it a sign and a seal. It's a sign. It's a sign. We're saying, everybody, look, these people belong to Jesus. It's a seal. There's something about it that holds you in. It's like a hug. It, it's like a magnet draws you in. It's a, it's a marking post. This day I was baptized. I belong to Jesus. So what they're going to do, they're going to take, take a knee to one reason because they're both taller than I am. Um, but the real reason is to show their submission to Jesus. He's their Lord now. They're going to get wet. I'm going to dump water on their heads. And the water is to symbolize their old life of sin died on the cross with Jesus Christ because they're baptized into him. His death is their death. I'm going to give them a little white hanky, and they're going to dry off their heads. And that coming out of the water, the drying off is the symbolism that they're connected to Jesus and that his resurrection is theirs, and they have new life in him, and they'll rise again when he returns. But what we're saying together is we're celebrating they're connected to Jesus Christ. He was poured into flesh for us, poured out on the cross in our place, poured over us through faith. In the famous uh, book, To Kill a Mockingbird, the heroic Atticus Finch says, You never really understand a person until you consider things from his point of view, until you climb inside of his skin and walk around it. Do you like people who can be empathetic with you? Jesus went way beyond that. He actually climbed into our skin, became human. Because he loves us. He wants to make us righteous, bring us to the Father. He was poured into our skin so that he could be poured out in our place and poured over us to give us his life. That's baptism, and it's awesome. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you sent your Son. Jesus, we thank you so much that you left all the glories of being eternal God and you put on flesh. And we know that you did it to fill the gaps in us, to make us righteous, to bring us to the Father. We praise you that you live the life we couldn't live. We praise you that you died the horrid death we deserve. We praise you that you rose from the dead in victory. And we thank you that you connect yourself to us, that we are yours. And you give us all you are and all you have. If there's anyone here, Lord, who doesn't know you in this way, I pray that you'd be drawn yourself to them. They'd consider you. They'd think about repenting and turning to Christ. And I, I pray that they would hear that all your infinite love is theirs simply through faith. They don't have to earn it. Lord, for Stuart and Josh, I pray that this especially would be an encouraging day for them that they remember that. You've done everything to bring them to yourself. For all of us, Lord, who trust in Jesus, let us remember, we have the greatest thing ever. It's not a superstition. It's not just a tradition. It's a connection. We're connected to Jesus. We thank you for this. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.